This episode is brought to you by Toddle. Toddle is a teacher-built, AI-powered platform that's more than a learning management system. The founders of Toddle are former teachers who realized their workflow was broken as they struggled between systems that didn't talk to each other. So they created Toddle, a teaching and learning platform for K-12 progressive schools. Toddle goes beyond a typical LMS, streamlining all aspects of teaching, from curriculum planning and mapping, to assessments and gradebook, to progress reports and family communication. This includes standards and competency-based learning, student portfolios, project-based learning, and much more. So if you're looking for a new platform or want to stay ahead of the curve and want the best tools for your teachers, check out Toddle. We've linked to their website in the show notes. Their team is very responsive, and if they ask, tell them Atlas sent you. This episode of Talking Technology with Atlas is brought to you by Toddle. Atlas thanks our vendors for their support. Welcome to Talking Technology with Atlas, the show that plugs you into the important topics and trends for technology leaders, all through a unique independent school lens. We'll hear stories from technology directors and other special guests from the independent school community and provide you with focused learning and deep dive topics. And now please welcome your host, Christina Llewellyn. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Technology with Atlas. I'm Christina Llewellyn, the Executive Director of Atlas. And I am Bill Stites, the Director of Technology at Montclair Kimberly Academy. And I'm Hiram Cuevas from St. Christopher's School in Richmond, Virginia. I'm the Director of Information Systems and Academic Technology. Hey, guys. Bill and Hiram, I'm excited about this episode. I know that we've spent some time kind of doing some deeper dives into technology-focused topics. Today, Atlas is the star. This is pretty cool. I'm very excited. Me too. Doesn't get any better. I think that a lot of folks understand that Atlas is a relatively young organization, but we're kind of getting up there. We're stretching towards our 10-year anniversary, which we will be celebrating in 2025 in Atlanta at our annual conference. But what I wanted to do in this episode, and my co-hosts and I are really excited to dive into, is we wanted to get back to our origin story, the Atlas origin story. So we're very proud and happy to welcome Atlas's three founders back to Atlas on the pod to have a conversation with us today. So we are welcoming Kelsey Vrooman and Gabe Lucas and Stuart Poston. Guys, welcome back to Atlas. How are you? Hi. It's like we never left. (laughs) (laughs) It's not been that long, so... (laughs) Let's go around the horn here because I would love for you to tell our audience if they don't know you, and I think many people do, but tell our podcast audience who you are. And I think that there's kind of two versions of the story, right, guys? Like there's who you were at the founding of Atlas, and then there's the who you are today. So first, why don't you tell me kind of who you were when Atlas was started back in like the 2014, 2015 timeframe? Why don't we go to Kelsey first? Kelsey Vrooman. Awesome. Nice to be here and to speak with all of you about Atlas. And I cannot believe that it's been almost 10 years. I don't know, Gabe and Stuart, it feels like just yesterday we were in that little, uh, what is the hotel? Gabe, what hotel was it again? The Crown Plaza. And we were all, you know, just bootstrapping this together. And so I have such incredible memories of what it was like in those early days of getting this community together. And so for me, when I was starting Atlas, I really did it for an incredibly selfish reason. I'm sure Gabe and Stuart will have their own. But 
I had just made the transition from being a classroom teacher and an instructional coach and being like the techie person, but not really knowing anything about structural tech or how to lead people or, you know, even how to teach adults really in a more expansive way. So I moved from Colorado to California and I had started at a new school, urban school of San Francisco as the director of educational technology. And the incredible woman who hired me and who said they were going to mentor me as my first administrator job, she retired two months after I started. So I was like set adrift in the school with no one really looking out for me. I really knew no one in California. I was literally going through a divorce at this time. So like I was just distraught and lost. And I had come up through ISTE. So I had a really lovely community in ISTE, but we were this tiny little fraction of the independent school world in the larger ISTE community. And so when I moved to the Bay Area, you know, I was pulling on some of my ISTE friends to be like my lifeline. I remember like Don Orth, who was at Hillbrook, who was just such a lovely mentor to me. I remember calling him and being like, Don, the vendor is not answering my phone call. What do I do? And he like got on a joint call with me and helped me yell at a vendor for the first time. And so like all of these lovely people were really helping me figure out how to be an administrator. And that was just through like the luck of the draw because I had that ISTE community. So I kept thinking, we have to have something like this for independent school. Why are we all our own islands? If I'm drowning in my school and I only lasted two years and then I was like, this is not for me then other people must be having that same experience and how many amazing administrators are coming up. And because they don't have the support, they don't have the community, they're feeling isolated, they're feeling alone, and they're feeling unsuccessful. And so Gabe was really close. And I knew, I don't even know how we met each other. I'll let Gabe tell the story of how we started. But really where I was when I started Atlas was I was a new administrator who was like barely keeping my head above water. I had no clue what I was doing. And really Atlas served as that lifeline to me of bringing the smartest people in the room and allowing me to connect in with their wisdom instead of having to reinvent the wheel. So that's who I was. Do you want me to say who I am now or are we going around the horn of who we all were? I sort of like the idea of like who we all were back then. And then we can kind of wrap it up with who we are today. So why don't we go to Stuart? Stuart, can you tell me a little bit about who you were when Atlas was founded? I was director of technology at Marlboro School which is an all-girls 712 in Los Angeles. Prior to that, I was the director of technology at the Buckley School, which is a K-12 in LA, and started in school technology, academic technology at Campbell Hall, which is a K-12 also in LA. So when I met Kelsey, I think was it at NAIS, actually. It's the first time I met her at like an ISTE. There was like an ISTE session for independent schools or whatever, and I went there and met Kelsey I think just briefly, the first time that actually I had a sit down with Kelsey was at NAIS. At breakfast, I remember. That's right, at breakfast. (laughs) I was there because I was on the board at Online School for Girls and I was there for the board meeting and I went for a run, a workout in the gym and I was wearing a, a Nike shirt that said all damn day on it or something like that. And I was walking through the buffet with all these heads of school around and I sat with Kelsey and I think she was probably kind of embarrassed. Like, who's this guy? sitting with me, but we had a good chat. Never, never. You know me better than that. <laughs> I probably wanted to sit with you because of that shirt. <laughs> so we had a chat and I, I think we, I came and did school visits at Urban and Castilea. I don't remember 
what the order, if that was pre-Atlas or post-Atlas, I think it was actually pre-Atlas. And so I had some exposure to Kelsey, some exposure to Gabe. When Gabe gets on, he'll talk about really the founding, founding of Atlas. But I was sitting at my desk when I got a, an email from them. And then we got on the phone pretty quick thereafter. I was like, well, call me now. And I'll let Gabe tell the story of where that comes from. Absolutely. Like Kelsey, I was, and Stuart, I was working in a couple of schools. I've been there for about seven or eight years in different roles, first as an educator and then as a director of ed tech and then as a director of all things tech. And I think if I had to use sort of one word, I mean, there was a little bit of jealousy, right, of other roles, other domains that had their flock, their sheep, their home. And I remember I would go to a California Association conference and, you know, there'd be like two or three of us. Actually, that's where I met Stuart. And I was like, oh, there's like another tech, quote, person here. And then you go to an MBOA conference, it might be like three or four of us or something. It's just, there wasn't really that sense of like belonging, which is ironic given how important belonging is to schools these days. So I think that was for me, the driving factor was like recognizing that we were all so well connected online and we were all so dialed into helping each other. And Kelsey mentioned, you know, Dawn helping her. I mean, there were tons of people that I reached out to my first couple of years who were so kind and helpful, but they were online. And I, if I didn't go drive across the Bay Area or fly to some city to see them, that was it. And so I remember just reaching out to Kelsey. I think we had met at an Oasis conference, if you remember that. That's right. I do. Yes. And that, in a way, right, and we won't get maybe two sideways on that, but I think the three of us had all attended that and just sort of saw the hunger for a gathering and beyond a gathering, you know, a potential association. And I think the three of us recognized that the Oasis conference was a great affirmation that all of us in the tech profession needed to come together. But I think the three of us also felt that there was a way to do it, not right or wrong, but we wanted to emulate what other industries, what other domains, what other you know college counselors to business officers to admission officers, they had their professional trade association in a certain way that we felt was going to help actually legitimize the technology position, because that was the other side of the coin, which is that the tech profession was really always see this as sort of ad hoc, third rail, whatever, don't touch it. And so we felt, I think, by creating this association, we were going to bring ourselves into the big tent. And so when Kelsey and I sat there in a coffee shop in on the hate, and then another one somewhere else in San Francisco and just kind of sketched it out, it was like, let's do it. And basically, you know, let's roll, let's go. And uh, the three of us came together and said, nothing's going to stop us. So that was it. That's really cool that you had like, you were seeing this community online, but you were looking to then bring it together in person because some of the gathering was kind of ad hoc. You've mentioned a few different groups and a few different other organizations where you would meet up, but you weren't finding a place. You weren't finding a home. So tell me a little bit about that first conference, because I know you did some of the legwork in 2014 to stand it up and to kind of pull everything together. But what was your goal or what did you hope would happen with that first conference? And where were you again? Out on the West Coast, LA? It was in San Francisco. And so Gabe, Kelsey and I, we had a first phone call and decided that the first thing we were going to do was a conference, right? We weren't an organization. We weren't any of those things. We were a conference. 
and that we were going to not ask our schools for funding, that we were going to just do this on our own. Because I'd been on the board, I mentioned on Online School for Girls, and that was school funded. And it created a weird dynamic on who do you represent when you're doing the things on behalf of Online School for Girls? Are you just a board member or do you represent your school because your school has skin in the game? So we actually decided to self-fund it. I don't remember the amount of the check. I think it was like five grand each, which was a lot of money for me back in the day. (laughs) We wrote checks. Yeah, we wrote checks, but we didn't cash them, did we? That's right. We never did. We ripped them up together. Once the money started rolling in for the conference, we decided we can rip them up, which was really fun. I think we were at Marlboro together. Gabe brought them and we were meeting and we just sort of, you know, ripped them up. Ceremonial burning of the checks. Never necessary. That's right. I feel like we put it out there right around Thanksgiving that we were going to have this conference. You guys correct me if my brain is wrong. I think our break even was 170 people, something right around that number. And we put it out there and the response was really overwhelming. And I, I think we hit 150 real quick. And then Oasis was happening again. And Gabe, Kelsey, and I decided to sort of crash Oasis. Maybe Gabe was registered and went up for the steak dinner or something like that. But we went to Marina Del Rey and sat in the lobby and just kind of basked in the fact that everybody was coming to our conference. And I think sitting there, we passed 170 or whatever it was, something like that. It's a pretty good origin story. Pretty strong. Bill, were you at the first one? You know, I don't think I was at the first one. I think I was at the second one that was in Los Angeles. Maybe that was the third. But the one thing I would say that I think is absolutely fabulous is that this came around, like the genesis of this really came at what was the tail end of really how Hiram and I met, which was you talk about those conferences that brought like-minded people together. For years, we were going to the Los Angeles Laptop Institute. That's where I met Hiram. That's where I met Jason. That's where I met Vinny. You know, that's where you met all of these people. And what was interesting is as that conference changed and evolved, it was very focused on like just one-to-one tech. And I think two of the points that you've all mentioned, which I think were great, and I think were probably some of the most important pieces of what Atlas did early on and what it's doing now, is it gave people the conference as a means of coming together of joining together and being able to share ideas that were specifically focused on what we were doing as professionals in that area. And that's the second piece of this, which is what you mentioned as well. It created that professional organization for which we could all stand up at our schools and say, you've got, you know, MBOA over here, you've got case names over here, you've got NAIS, which, Stuart, to some of your points, you know, it was like, Each of these organizations did something related to tech, but it never really went all in on tech. Those two things, I think, were two of the best things that came from this, you know, speaking as somebody who needed that group to coalesce around and to get together with, because I learned best from the community, and that's what you all gave us. I'm so thankful for that. Do you guys remember what any of the early content was at that first or second? What were some of the things that you were talking about in 2015 and 16? I remember in our early conversations, because ISTE was there, and there were a lot of ISTE state affiliates that had a lot of content that was geared for techie teachers, like the 10 apps you can use in your classroom or things like that. We really decided to pivot because we thought that space was already covered. 
And no one was really talking about the administration of tech and the independent school space. Like not how to use those apps in the classroom, but how do you vet them? How do you make them all integrate and work together? And so we made a conscious choice to really pivot towards more of the administrators and not so much of the end users. So I remember that. And then what I remember, one of my favorite memories from the first Atlas is Stuart, Gabe, and I, we all took one session, the very last session of that first conference. And we were like, we had a conference. Now what? And so what we did is we iterated on what this should become. We all were kind of riding high on the spirit of we're all together. This is amazing. I love being with you all. And what do we take this to? Is it a membership organization? Is it just a conference? And so my best memory is just sitting there and really designing and iterating on what Atlas was going to become and getting all those fantastic ideas from that first conference. Well, the session I led was a little stronger. I was like, we are going to be a membership organization. And that's what I went with. Just to timeline this real quick, I could be a little off on this, but it was summer when we got together and the first conference was in maybe February something like that. So we went from like, hey, we're going to do this. We put it out in November and had almost 300 people at our first conference six months later or whatever it was. So this was not a long-term, you know, sort of take two years. We did it. And I real quick just want to follow up on what Bill said. Somebody else would have done this if we didn't do it, right? Like it was there. It was sort of amorphous in the air. And we're just the ones that grabbed it out. But somebody would have done it because it, it was needed. It was time. I'm staring at the 2015 National Conference Program right here in my hands. Oh, wow. Blast from the past. (laughs) Do you keep that handy? You bet. April 16th and 17th. I think we had a lot of great sessions. I think our goal was to make sure this, you know, obviously was bootstrapped, but yeah, we wanted to show professional from the very beginning. We, uh, We had our second conference already picked out. That was Atlanta. We had it on the back of the program. We had some keynotes. We knew this was sort of going to be, you know, version 1.0, right? But this document, this program, you know, if people were going to go back to their schools, showing their heads or CFOs, look what I just went to. I think we knew that whatever happened here was actually, that was going to be the make or break moment because if this bombed, it would have been, oh yeah, that was sort of cute. But this legitimized the creation of the association. We have 40 sponsors or maybe 20, well, we had a whole bunch, you know, dozens, what dozens. I think we have more that were not even the program. So uh, it definitely said to the world this had to be. It was launched. It was flying. I just want to take a moment and tell you all how grateful I am that you had that rapid engagement. You know, my wife and I got engaged very, very fast because we knew it was just right. And this sounds exactly like all the stars were aligned perfectly and you had the right mojo in place. From one of the early sessions, I remember my first Atlas Conference was in Hollywood, and it was the Tech Directors Roundtable. And I was just astounded by the amount of solidarity that was there that I had never experienced at another conference. I mean, I'd been to ISTE, I'd been to VISTE, which is the Virginia version of ISTE, some of our state-level workshops, but nothing compared to the tour de force of what that session brought me. Every year, that I attend Atlas, I come back re-energized. It always happens at the right time of year. It's a very cathartic experience for me. I always come back re-energized in preparation for the fallout of the end of school, which is always a very, very busy time. So thank you all very much. From day one, it sounds like there was a certain amount of energy 
Hiram's talking about it that lasts till this day, right? So you guys felt that in the very first one, you wrapped up your first conference looking ahead with a very definitive, we're going to be a membership organization. So if you can think back, if we can stay in that early space for just a hot second, when you then went, okay, that didn't flop. It wasn't a failure. There's an energy. It was very desperately needed. So then what were your goals? Like, what did you think it would become? And I know now you have hindsight, right? Because you know what it became. But back then, what did you think it might be? It was pretty simple, actually. It was a membership organization that had yearly conferences with tons of content. And, you know, as it grew, there was the smaller conferences and whatnot. So Gabe mentioned sponsors, and I mentioned so many people. Really, we made a lot of money. And what making all that money allowed us to do was hire somebody. And so we came out of that conference, posted the job. We had a bunch of applications. We hired Sarah and we immediately went to planning an organization. I don't exactly remember when it was, but shortly after the conference, Gabe, Kelsey, Sarah came out to Pasadena and we looked for sites in LA because we already had Atlanta booked. And now we were looking for the next one. And we had like our first board retreat, if you will, in my dining room, the one I'm sitting in right now, where we we did the whole thing. Kelsey led us through the lean startup exercises and we did mission statement and goals and and all that. So, I mean, it was just from right there. We knew what we wanted and that's what we did. I'm glad you mentioned like, you know, the fourth person in the room because Sarah Hanewald, we all were working in schools for first time. So I think that was probably the smartest thing that we did is realize that if we actually wanted this to become a self-sustaining organization, we needed to have someone who was smart, who was passionate, and also who was not in California to really bring Atlas to the rest of the world. When I think back of all the decisions, we realized that we didn't want Atlas to be a West Coast regional organization. So when we hired Sarah, we were thrilled. She was out of North Carolina and had a lot of connections to a totally different community than all of us did. And then when we were choosing our first board members, I mean, it was really, we were thinking about how can we bring a diverse set of skills, a diverse set of experiences and backgrounds, but then also geographic diversity to the board. Like Jason, like he, it was almost like we had these, like the old school, like he's going to kill me for saying old school when we mentioned him, but just like the leaders of our community, we really thought it was very important to bring them in and get them involved in Atlas from the very beginning so that they felt a part of this, that this is a community that we were really formalizing the informal networks that they had created and that were really in place. And we just wanted to make those open to everyone. So that's Jason Ramston, and he was one of your first board members. But who were some of those early board members? after or around the same time as Jason? Jeff came on pretty early, right? Jeff Morrison. Yeah. Kevin McAllister. Denise. Denise Musselwhite. Jim. Sarah Raleigh came early on too. Oh, Jen Carey. Jen Carey. I think it was Jen, Denise, Kevin, and Jeff, maybe, who was the first, and Sarah? I think Jason and Jeff were first. Well, I think the board meeting in Los Angeles had about six or seven people, and that was an intentional decision. We didn't want to get too big too quickly. You know, we wanted to stay nimble. The other thing that I'll just sort of go back in time and remember, we had sort of a fork in the road. There were at least two or three associations that were like, what are you doing? <laughs> Including some that were our keynotes <laughs> for the first conference. And they said, 
come join us, come merge with us, we'll buy you out. You know, they didn't use that term, but basically come under our tent, right? And there was a little bit of this feathers ruffling a bit and, you know, oh, you're coming to our region to have a conference. You didn't ask me first. And it was like, oh, sorry about that. But I think that was, hey, we were a little bit obviously naive or just like whatever, you know, brazen. But B, like, okay, actually we want to, you know, we want to stand on around two feet. Eventually, the larger association community, I think, came to appreciate and recognize that Atlas needed its own seat at the table. And then I think the irony, and I've seen you do it, Christina, is that, you know, there's an opportunity to partner with and deliver content and programming with other associations that has been so critical for them to see that actually expertise that Atlas has is definitely needed. And what we bring to the table is what others just don't. And I think that's been a an important kind of reminder, both for our community, but also for others. So two things I wanted to touch on that you've all said. And one is, I think, early on, it was like wanting to focus on the tech leaders in the school. And how do you, Kelsey, like to your point, how do I talk to this vendor? Or how do I do this thing that's going to help me lead things in the schools? I was a third grade teacher. I took like one tech class when I was at college, and it had nothing to do with what I'm doing right now. So having an organization and having that presence of thought to kind of say, okay, all these organizations are doing all these things about how to be a great teacher. Like I went to ASCD conferences, I go to ISTE, and it was all focused on like the classroom, like the tool or the application, but like, how do we do what we need to do to lead the school really wasn't something that anyone was talking about. And when, you know, I first went to Atlas and the first thing for me that I took back, I went to like one of the cybersecurity workshops and that just took off for me here, but it really gave me what I needed to be a better leader in the school and a better leader, you know, amongst even the local organizations that I was coming back to either New Jersey, the New Jersey independent schools or some of those, those local organizations. So the fourth thought to do that, I thought was excellent because and groups like ISTE, they did some of what we're talking about, but they didn't do all of it. And the ability to have a tech organization that was focused on leading tech in schools that was independent school focus that wasn't dealing with, you know, ISTE is so large and it's now ISTE and ASCD. It's now this huge piece. And were you to have taken that early bite to kind of go under the wing of maybe ISTE, we'd be still lost in the mix. And now we've got the shining beacon for independent school tech leaders to kind of go to share, to do all the work that we're doing now. And again, I just, the focus early on and to be able to see that is a big thank you and a testament to all of you on the call to realizing that that's one of the needs that needed to be filled. So looking now at where we've gone, you had this vision for it. It was off to a banger start, right? So we're now moving into the phase where you have an employee, which eventually became multiple employees. The organization really stood up pretty quickly. There was a lot of great content. Eventually, you know, you guys shepherded a leadership change. And through all of that, the three of you, the founders, were still guiding the vision of it and the future of it. But there had to come a point where you were like, I have other things to do. The baby is toddling away. So tell me a little bit about that transition and kind of when you thought the time would be right 
to maybe put it in other hands? Like, how did you kind of get to that place where it wasn't always going to be the Gabe and Kelsey and Stuart show? You had bigger dreams for it. Tell us a little bit about how that happened. One, I think the funny thing about all of the three of us is that within two years of creating Atlas, none of us were still at our schools. And in fact, none of us were still in technology at independent schools. So I think from like a personal standpoint as well, we really used Atlas to figure out, well, what did we love about our jobs? And then what do we want to personally do next? Stuart and Gabe can talk about their paths, but I ended up at NAIS, National Association of Independent Schools. And it was a hilarious way that I got there is because we cold called Jay Rapp, who's the vice president of professional development as a, you know, plucky little organization. And we are like, you know what? NAS needs better technology professional development. And aren't you lucky Atlas now exists and we can help you. And after that call, Jay emailed me and was like, hey, did you know I have a job opening available? And so I started working at NAS. After NAS, I started my own company, Mission and Data, doing data work for schools. So for me personally, there's a lot of responsibility when you're standing up an organization. And now I've done it twice. And then also you have to think about the worst thing in the world is to be a founder who hangs on. Because if you're a good founder, you breathe life into something and you give it a mission, you give it a vision, you surround it with the most incredible, talented people possible. And then you walk away and you let the baby fly on its own. If you're like having your hands just strangled around it the whole time and you're trying to force it and conform it into what you needed it to be at that moment, it can never change, it can never evolve, then you're really doing a disservice to the organization. I am in tech. I do consulting more on the data side and some on the technology side too for independent schools. But for me, like I no longer needed Atlas as that community to help for me. And so for me, I was like, okay, I was able to help Atlas from the NAS side, you know, bringing in perspectives of heads, of boards, of other people for a really long time, and then connect other people to the Atlas board. But then, then I was like, okay, somebody else should get their shot at it. And I love Atlas to this day and stay connected and go to the conferences. But I am very happy that this baby is flying on its own. <laughs> yes, exactly. Stuart, how about you? Tell us about like what you've transitioned to and from the Atlas leadership days, now that you're not babysitting our organization growing up, what's been going on for you? Well, I definitely never felt like it was babysitting. Just to be clear, it felt like a passion. For me, what Kelsey said is all true. I lived it on another board I was on. I was on an independent school board. And when I joined the board... Most of the people had been at room for a minimum of 10 years, some as many as 30 years. Oh, wow. And so I saw what happens when a board stagnates, essentially, right? And they're not even like giving at that point, right? I mean, there was just, it wasn't working. So I'd seen it from the other perspective and was hell-bent on not doing that. You know, when that line comes and when you're ready to go is something that is hard to find. I know that for a little while I wasn't quite ready to go, but I did eventually go. Now I'm a retired stay-at-home dad. That's my full-time gig. I love that for you. When I left Marlboro, I went and did the for-profit thing. I worked at three different startups, advised a few others. And a VC pointed out to me that they were for-profit, but not for-profit in reality, which, you know, I guess is the startup world. 
and left the startup almost a year ago and have just enjoyed being a house dad. That's awesome. I love that journey for you, for sure. Gabe, you're still working with Atlas as a partner and as a vendor with us because we team up and we do the salary survey. You handle the data piece for us and then we kind of look at the analysis and Atlas issues our compensation benchmark report annually. But tell us a little bit about how in the world your journey unfolded after you kind of started moving away from Atlas leadership. Sure. Well, a couple of things. One, back to our early founding days, Kelsey Stewart and I actually had talked about starting a recruiting firm, if they recall. In fact, we had a name. Remember that name? RIT. <laughs> we were actually going to go into the hiring business. So I, I sort of seized that once they sort of said, probably not, and, you know, haven't looked back. So help, I've been helping our clients for the last nine years now do executive recruiting. We, we started in technology and now we got to go far beyond that. As far as you know, leaving the organization, I remember very specifically, there was a board meeting. I can't remember where it was. One of our trustees, I won't say who it was, said, I propose making Stuart, Kelsey, and Gabe lifetime board members. I don't know if you always remember that. We actually pushed back a little bit and said, I don't think so. And that was a good moment, like, you know, the founder syndrome, like, hey, we're here to kick this off, but then others need to take it over. And it's, you know, we don't want to be those folks that never leave the party. So I think we actually helped to set up some good governance structure for Atlas and kind of a roadmap for off and onboarding trustees and a process for doing so. And there was that moment in Chicago where we were running, a, I think, a very thoughtful search for even just leadership positions within the board. It was kind of our final swan song was to put in place some internal governance structures and guideposts to just make sure the organization can sustain and doesn't need to keep anybody, quite frankly, around for more than six, eight years or whatever you've all decided now. And I think that kind of our George Washington kind of moment was let's not run for office three, four, five, six times and show this can be done. And I believe it's been working great ever since. I love that. It really was kind of a George Washington moment because you kind of like went out on top, you know, like you handed it in a really great place. And Hiram is a brand new board member. So we've been getting some incredible new insights and perspectives, and you guys left us in such a great place. I appreciate your patience with my reminiscing. It is something that I often cite as a strength of our organization that in my current role, I feel very lucky to have come in with the founders. So I didn't have to interpret any visions because you all were there to tell me the vision. And so that's been fun. That's been an incredible benefit for me is that there was no like playing telephone on this. You were in the room when I was in the room and that's been a really fun ride. And I'm sure that, you know, Bill and Hiram, you guys probably have some questions. And so what I'd like to do if we could is kind of pivot us now to sort of, all right, so elder statesman, if we will, George Washington's of Atlas. I'd love to just hear what you guys think about what's going on because the organization, but more importantly, at the heart and center of it all, our members have gone through a rough couple of years. And so I know that you guys aren't in independent schools anymore, but I know how closely you hold Atlas to your heart. I know you guys keep in really close touch with us. You watch what we're doing. Our members have not only stepped into the spotlight coming out of the pandemic, a lot of them were the superheroes of their schools, of their campuses during the pandemic. They're really stinking tired, y'all, 
our members are so burnt out and tired. And so we have those issues that we're helping our leaders juggle. And then just for funsies, we've got AI kicking around. And so it just seems to me like it was prophetic to call us leaders, tech leaders, because this is way more than the boxes and cables of years gone by. So I'm just interested to hear what you guys think about that, what your observations are, because our industry has changed a lot and our leaders have changed a lot. There's so much more pressure in the technology space. It just touches everything. What do you think of all this nonsense going on in our world? So yeah, I work with independent schools every day still. And so I I do get to see just the difficulty and the stress and the pressure that the pandemic, but also just the technological changes, the demographic changes, the changing relationship between parents and schools. It's not necessarily just related to technology. In my job now, I talk to a lot of heads of school and the amount of burnout that we're seeing in heads of school is catastrophic. So I'm always thinking about Atlas's mission, again, in this realm of ever-changing turmoil, new innovations, new things. The antidote to burnout is community. It's a restful space where you can find shelter, where you know people have your back. People are feeding not just your pocketbook, but your soul, your friendships, all of those things. So really providing a healthy balance in your life to me is the best way to combat burnout. So when I think about Atlas and Atlas's role in the future, you know, not only is it a professional organization giving you tips on, you know, how to deploy AI in your schools or how to help teachers, you know, see when students are using AI to write their papers and things like that. But also it's like, how do you use AI so that you have more time for the things that actually fill your bucket, which is your family, your friends, your hobbies. When you come to Atlas conferences, are there periods and opportunities for you to connect with those friends that you haven't seen since the last Atlas conference? So really to me, like seeing everyone holistically is what I would hope that Atlas does in this post-pandemic moment to really make sure that we are creating healthy individuals and healthy leaders who can then model that to their own departments and their own direct reports. Because that's kind of what I see. And Lisa, you know, as a founder of my own company who was insanely burnt out, it wasn't until I was like, I'm not going to work 80 hour weeks. I'm going to do other things. I'm going to go all my hobbies. I'm going to go traveling again. That's when I started finding balance and kind of coming back to myself And so I think that that's the wisdom that Atlas can really bring. And because I'm a tech person, a lot of the ways to do that is to have better efficiencies using, oh my gosh, using AI to thematically code surveys has given me so much more time. That's awesome. And I suggest it for everybody. So really like harnessing these technologies to win us back more time to do the things that are the most valuable for our lives. Because guess what? It's usually not work. I'll chime in here too. COVID aside, I suspect that the biggest challenges with technology are the people factor, not the technology factor. What I witness is generally technology is evolutionary, not revolutionary. And so it's still the, how do we adopt this technology? How do we get people to use it? How do we train people? How do we make sure it reaches the proper pedagogical milestones? Not necessarily the tech itself, right? There's always new things, right? Wireless came out at some point and we went from stringing Macs together with local area, not even local area networks to having a local area network, like all those things happened. And so one of the biggest challenges that I think independent school tech folk 
face on the hard tech side is that they're kind of jacks of all trades, but they're masters of none. I feel like that's an evolution that needs to happen at some point. How can a school possibly dive deep into AI if they don't have a data scientist, if they don't have you know those roles? It's basically going to be impossible. And all you're doing is putting more and more and more on top of people that are already jacks of trades of 100 things. And I might as well be 105, right? Because they're the people that can handle it. So I would say that's one of the biggest challenges. And it has been for a long time, and I suspect it persists with independent school technology, is how do you really master something? Gabe, I would imagine you probably see that in hiring too, right? I know that you do searches beyond technology now, but is it hard to fill tech roles or harder than it was even just a few years ago to fill tech roles at independent schools? Basically, yes. (laughs) It's definitely not an easy task for sure. So tying this back to what you said earlier about kind of where tech directors are burned out and whatnot, my sort of like longitudinal lens During the pandemic, a lot of tech directors actually rallied their schools. A lot of them saved their schools. And even situations that were difficult for either the director or the school, like everybody kind of got together and was in the same boat. That was really great to see. Uh, In fact, we did more hiring at that point in non-tech roles than we ever had done. Then out of the pandemic, lots of burnout. A lot of people just like, I'm done. What's interesting now is that For the first time, I've seen a real trend around roles at the next level up that are finally truly valuing tech leadership, tech leaders. So, you know, think like one of our board members, Jim Foley, now he's the head of school, kind of came from a technology background. Other schools are creating assistant head of school positions to oversee technology. So it's just been, I think, really great to see post-pandemic, yes, there's a burnout, yes, it's hard to hire, and the groundswell is coming to where, you know, head of school leadership, assistant head of school leadership, you just cannot be tech averse. Quick little story. I heard about an association that was trying to hire for its executive director recently. And one of the finalists just could not plug in their their laptop into the projector. And like 20 years ago, sure, here's your executive assistant and you don't need to know tech. That's gone. I mean, now it's like, you got to bring it, right? And there's a new contemporary set of leaders, tech or otherwise. And I think organizations like Atlas are showing the value of that kind of visionary understanding and just technology fluency and everything in between. And it's going to make for some opportunities for roles of our leaders to step into some other positions outside of tech. It's been a long time coming for that. Yeah, I often say, Gabe, when I speak to heads of school or business officers, but especially heads of school, so whether you like it or not, you are now the chief technology strategist at your school. And if that gives you hives, that's why you need Atlas. (laughs) We can help you with some of those issues that you're trying to juggle as an academic leader. Let's go to Bill and Hiram. What questions do you have for Atlas's founders? One of the things I'm thinking about in terms of like, Stuart, you mentioned, you know, the jack of all trades, master of none, 105 of, you know, just the numbers as they keep growing. You think about the things that schools are now having to focus on. And we recently had on the podcast, Eric Heilman from Cirrus. And I was involved with some of the work that we did over this summer on that book. And that's, that is an area where I see technology having to step in and really have to be able to see it across all areas. Because one of the things I see us struggling with and schools struggling with is 
as we try to, you'll hear NAS talk about, you know, how do we reframe independent schools so they could be sustainable? Well, you need data to make your points about everything that you're doing. And so much of what I'm seeing like right now, whether it's how do we access the data, how do we share the data, whether it's the DEI work that we're doing, you know, we had a conversation today about the fact that our information system has a field to track gender, but it doesn't have a field to check biological sex. And when you need to be able to have information about those two things, how that becomes conflated, it's how tech directors who have to be able to pull and gather information and help all those organizations gather that all together, I think is really one of the points of strain that we have right now, because everyone's like, oh, it's in the system, go grab it. It's not that simple. And trying to find people in the school to deal with it, organizations to work with to help you get at it, I think it's a real area of need that schools are struggling with. I'll step in there because Bill... I had that same idea as you about four years ago. And uh, so I created my company and hired Eric. But also, I remember my last couple of years at Atlas, like I saw at NAS, the institutional researchers, little happy hour group that was starting and they didn't have a home. And I was like, Atlas needs to own data because for me, when you think about technology from a strategic lens, it's usually data. And when we come in and work with schools, it is shocking to me the percentage of times that the technology team is not involved in our conversations about creating data systems, creating data strategy, pulling data together. And it's such a lost opportunity. And so for me, when we're thinking about, yes, you can go up the head of school route, you can go assistant head of school route as a technology director, but there's also this chief information officer or going into a director of institutional research. And what that really is, what I think is really interesting is if you can tell the story of the data, then all of a sudden the doors open for you. Because when we're thinking about technology directors, we know where the data is, we know how it connects, we can map it, we can audit it, all of that stuff. But if we develop that skill to provide actionable insight from it, see patterns, see trends, and help people dig into it, then all of a sudden the value we provide to a school just amplifies. So I really think that, you know, if I'm looking ahead, obviously I'm biased because I have a data company, but it's how does technology partner with our databases to make them integrated? So we have to have interoperable data. We have to start creating these data warehouses that bring together all the insights from all of your different platforms to show one comprehensive look at the student from all angles, the family from all angles, the school from all angles, and then also to be able to speak to people who are not in technology, who are not in data about what you're seeing and what are the trends that you're seeing. Started with the whole data conversation here because It is the foundation of so many areas. I have found in looking at our own school, the new initiatives that we've had to take into account that were never part of the technology area. When you look at campus safety, for example, whoever thought that you were going to have hundreds of cameras on your campus and access control lists that are now also controlling not only your sprinkler systems, but are also controlling your doors. The best part about having all of this data is now I feel equipped and I hope schools take advantage of the fact that they should feel equipped to be able to go to the leadership at their respective schools to say, listen, the job of the director of technology is so broad that you do need some specialists because 
the general practitioner approach for a department, a director of technology just doesn't work for the needs of the contemporary independent school today. You do need a cyber person. You do need an institutional research person. You do need a cyber person. So there are all of these other areas that I keep finding are needed within schools, but schools will try and get as much out of their CIOs or their DOTs as they can because no one ever wants to have that FTE bubble grow any more than it has to. I love the fact that we started with data, and I think it is it is really the linchpin for the vast majority of conversations that we can have with our leaders. So as we wrap this up, because I'm so grateful to have everybody's time and to get all three of you on one podcast has been really cool. I'm so grateful that you guys carved out the schedules to make this happen. I know that you're juggling a lot and traveling, but my last kind of question that I want to lob at you is our goal is to be 500 members by our 10th anniversary, and we are barreling toward that. We have a much broader universe of non-members and prospects that we serve, but I think that in order for Atlas to be a sustainable and growing and thriving organization, it really comes from the heartbeat of all that is membership. And so we're barreling towards 500 members by our 10th anniversary. So let me ask you, where would you love to see Atlas at 20 years? Can you picture that far out? What does Atlas look like when we celebrate our 20th anniversary? I'll give a softball answer, maybe, which is fulfilling its mission. You know, if I could tell the future, I'd be rich and living like in this huge mansion or whatever. I don't have a crystal ball, but I feel like if Atlas stays mission-driven and that mission adapts over time as it needs to, I think Atlas will be doing A-OK. Maybe that was too easy political. I don't know. Hey, I love it. You're speaking my language, Stuart, because I I think that that's right where it is. What do you think, Gabe? Where are we going to be? Well, I don't know where you'll be. That's a great, I wish I knew. But I'll give you two sort of like, potentially, again, the weed answers that maybe will just trigger thoughts for the community. I think we were talking about this right as the three of us were leaving the board. Not to get way into the weeds, but I think we thought about Association for Technology Leadership. And I don't mean to say change your name, but I hope in 20 years that it really is that, whether you change your name or not. Certain other associations, right, when you think business affairs, you might think MBOA. I feel like heads of school should almost be going to Atlas conferences more than tech directors, or certainly in the same numbers. And so I hope in 20 years there's that recognition that this is the place for technology and beyond technology, right? Not just the wires, but bring in the data, bring in the curricular innovation, That is the be-all, end-all, or at least the bullseye point for technology leadership. I guess the second thing, again, sort of a little bit myopic, but, you know, there are other associations that accredit, and I feel like I could see in 20 years, like Atlas being a formal accrediting partner. And again, even if it's not, the recognition that accreditation for schools needs to change, right? It's been for decades this very backward facing or just voluminous in terms of like things that are just really, is that so important? When here's like one of your biggest areas of your budget, one of the biggest reasons people choose to or not to go to a school. And I just think that could put Atlas on the map, but again, even if it's not accrediting, the recognition that like just the oversight and the governance of technology and sort of the evaluation of schools through a technology lens is like just as important 
as all the other things that are in those big chapters and those binders. And I think Atlas could be driving that equation. I'm going to lean more towards Stuart fulfilling its mission. However, I mean, I think I do have a dream that, you know, I, the generative thinking of like framing the question for the board. So Hiram, you're, you're on the board. So maybe this is seeding your generative discussion at a next board meeting. When I think of schools today and when I think of the challenges that face independent schools today, it's financial sustainability. And the business model of independent schools is just getting harder and harder to make work with tuitions, $40,000, $50,000. And if we want to assure access and affordability to all students, something's got to change. And when you look at the different types of roles within an independent school community, finance and technology are the two areas where it kind of almost doesn't make sense to go into independent schools in those realms because the incomes that you can make outside of independent schools. I'm sure, Stuart, when you left independent schools, you were making two, three X what you made inside of independent schools. So for me, it's like if we're wanting to attract and retain the best and brightest in technology without having them go to industry, we have to do something. And doing something crazy and out there and in the left field is what I would love to see Atlas try to do. And, you know, so much of technology can be administered digitally and from afar. So are there ways where you could partner schools that have similar missions that aren't necessarily market competitors and then share services, share talent, even share platforms across space and time to make the bottom line of technology more sustainable for schools and for Atlas to be part of that solution to really rethink the business model of independent schools to try to make it more sustainable for the future. That's what I would love to see Atlas really just innovating to make things work for independent schools and the families that attend them. And I think that we are up for that challenge. What do you think, Hiram? Are we ready to roll with some of these great ideas? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think we have uh, a lot of firepower on the board right now with a lot of energy and excitement to take on the new, the mantle of the next era for Atlas. I agree. Well, Folks, I'm so grateful that we were able to do this. I'm glad that we were able to get our founders together and to talk about some of the Atlas origin story because I do think we're going to look a lot different in another 10 years. So it's important. This can be our historical perspective with our own three George Washingtons here on the podcast, Kelsey and Gabe. I'll take Martha Washington. Martha and George's. Thank you guys so much for this. I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you for the time. Thank you for just getting us all started. I mean, that's the biggest thank you I think we all want to give you. Yeah, the whole community. We're all feeling the love for the founders. Certainly my pleasure. And I'm here for Atlas whenever you need it. All right, guys. Thank you again for joining us for Talking Technology with Atlas. We'll be back with you next time. And we'll be digging into all these big dreams as we barrel toward 20 years, let alone 10. This has been Talking Technology with Atlas, produced by the Association of Technology Leaders and Independent Schools. For more information about Atlas and Atlas membership, please visit theatlas.org. If you enjoyed this discussion, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your colleagues in the independent school community. Thank you for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Toddle. Atlas thanks our vendor partners for their support.